Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. You're listening to On the Environment, a podcast series from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. For more information, visit the website at envirocenter.yale.edu. Hi, you're listening to On the Environment, a podcast production from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. I'm Aaron Rubin, a research assistant at Yale, and I'm in the studio today with Rolling Stone contributing editor Jeff Godell. Jeff is the author of the best-selling book, Big Coal, The Dirty Secret Behind America's Energy Future, and he's in town to serve as the keynote speaker for this year's New Directions in Environmental Law Conference at Yale. His most recent book is an investigation into the controversial science of geoengineering, titled How to Cool the Planet, Geoengineering and the Audacious Quest to Fix Earth's Climate. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk a little bit about the environment generally. The reason you're in town is for the New Directions and Environmental Law Conference. And I was wondering, to start off, if you could tell us what you think are the biggest issues facing the next generation of environmental professionals, and if there are things that we maybe aren't talking about that we should be. Well, I mean, I think that when you think about environmental issues that are, we're facing, I, mean, I think that it, it all, um, I think climate is the thing that um, just uh, just swallows up everything else because it is, um, you know, arguably the biggest threat that humanity has ever faced, and the consequences of it are so far-reaching and so profound, profound mm-hmm. economically, politically, legally, uh, in every kind of way. Um, that I think that that is just uh, you know the sort of big elephant in the room when you think about um, environmentalism as we move into the next few decades. Are you hopeful? <laughs> well, it depends what you mean by hopeful. Um, I mean, you know, I remember going to see uh, Jim Lovelock, a very famous British scientist um, who um, was known for many things, the Gaia theory. Sure. Um, and I saw, I went to England to see him uh, um, uh, three or four years ago. And, you know, at that time he was feeling very strongly that the, the climate threat was a, a near game ender for human civilization and talked about, you know, a few breeding pairs of humans left in the Arctic. Uh, so I, if, if that counts as uh, hopeless, I'm certainly not there. Um, but I do think that um, we, um, not just Americans, but throughout the world, have still not come to grips with what this really means for us and how we're going to deal with it. And, you know, um, I think things like Hurricane Sandy, uh, which just devastated New York um, a few months ago, kind of big wake-up calls to a lot of people about not just about you know the urgency of cutting emissions and things like that it certainly didn't seem to do much in america for that but um it has shifted the conversation i think um to questions about adaptation um and i do think it's changed the politics some because i think that people are now starting to see these sort of extreme weather events happening all around them and it's no longer this question about, oh, it's some tree hugger fantasy mm-hmm. or some Al Gore get rich quick scheme, but it's actually happening. And so I think that we're gonna, moving into this era where um, politically, legally, lots of ways, this climate debate is going to change uh, in a big way, I think, in the next five years or so. Yeah, there's a lot of prominent politicians stepping forward, like Bloomberg, to, to pick up that mantle to say, this is a thing we're going to be talking about more. Um, one thing, sort of touching on the climate issue, Something we've been talking a lot about lately at at the center here is the environmental implications of hydraulic fracturing for natural gas. 
and your your book Big Coal, which is just a terrific exploration of America's coal economy and our energy industry, seems almost to have been written in a pre-fracking America, or at least at a time when fracking wasn't as widespread and we didn't see so many new natural gas leasings. Do you think the rise of natural gas in the last few years is a fundamentally good or bad thing? Can you even talk about it that way? Does it change your predictions that you wrote about in Big Coal for our, ener- our country's energy future? Yeah, I mean, I think that what's happened with natural gas in just the last seven or eight years, five, six years, um, is uh, a huge revolution. Um, uh, one that very few people saw coming. Certainly I didn't. Um, um, uh, fracking was around uh, when I was writing Big Coal, but it wasn't really mm-hmm. um, a powerful force in the industry yet. I mean, it's really remarkable this has all happened in, in such a short amount of time. And, and you know, the obvious thing that it's done is um, knock the price of natural gas really low, really low. And so it's basically in America, if it, this cheap natural gas is basically putting coal plants out of business. I mean, they're shutting down coal plants now right and left and repowering with gas. And in that sense, it's a big game changer. It's certainly... Um, uh, you know, if if you see putting the coal industry or putting coal plants out of business as a good thing, which by any kind of climate measure it certainly is, um, then this is a, a good revolution. But but I've done a lot of looking into fracking, and you know, there's still a lot of questions about this. I mean, you know, if we're if we're um, you know getting cheap natural gas at the expense of polluting our aquifers and drinking water supplies. Um, that is not a good deal. And um, the long-term viability of this, I think, is really up in the air, really questionable. I think that the science around groundwater pollution, aquifer pollution around fracking sites is not good. Like much of the fossil fuel industry, they're very, you know, they have a lot of money. They hire a lot of scientists to see things their way. I think environmentalists and environmental lawyers and the whole, you know, uh, movement is way behind on Mm. this, got completely caught off guard. Uh, so it has to catch up to speed. The 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 you know there's essentially no federal regulation on fracking. It's all state run, which um, the industry argues is um, better because it's more flexible and more attuned to um, to the local conditions. But uh, someone like me who's suspicious of that would say, yeah, and this, uh, they're also much easier bought off and much yeah. less strict. We see it very ad hoc. Some places it's better than others. Exactly. And then you have the whole question of um, methane release and whether when, if you add up the methane release from well sites, from gas plants, uh, whether natural gas really is better for the climate than coal. I mean, there's a lot of questions about that. People at Cornell, some really good scientists that I respect at Cornell, question that. And so we don't really have a good accounting, really, to know if, if this really is a big step forward um, for climate. And then there's one other dimension of this, which is, you know, does this sort of movement toward natural gas push off the movement toward renewables? Yeah. Um, Are we just delaying what should be a, a carbon neutral shift? Exactly. And so, you know, it's just, if this is just buying us 30 years time, and then we find out in 10 years that the methane releases, um, fugitive methane is so high that it's not really any better than coal anyway, uh, that's not a good place to be. Yeah, and we've lost our window. Exactly. Well, it makes me think, I was recently in China, and in the start of your book, Big Coal, you call China the place where coal is everything, and you know the true cost of energy production, because it's visible. I'm curious, you know, thinking about America transitioning in our energy, there's a lot of um, conversation around 
whether that's going to make a difference now that China is the largest um, carbon emitter. Do you think um, the new growth and the environmental degradation that's been accompanying it in China is a fundamentally new thing, or does it sort of mirror and reflect what we did in America? Uh, in other words, is it is it a real is it something to be concerned of on a great scale? And does the rise of China as an energy consumer in their own right mean our hands are tied for fixing the climate? Uh, I think that you know China is clearly going through a, a similar industrialization process mm-hmm. that we went through in the early part of the 20th century. But I think China is moving through it way faster than we did. And um, I know a lot of people like to slam China, um, and I certainly do it myself. They they burn more coal than all the rest of the world combined, like 4 billion tons a yeah. year. They're now the, by far the largest greenhouse gas emitter in the world. Uh, but they're also a country of you know 1.4 billion people. And they are a country with you know 400 million people living under $2 a day. And given that kind of circumstance, you know, they're doing amazing things, shifting away from fossil fuels towards um, renewables. You know, they're now the largest wind market in the world. Uh, Just uh, last week, the Ministry of Finance uh, talked about putting a a carbon tax on on fossil fuel. Uh, And so... I mean, that's a conversation we can't even talk about here. We can't even, you know, our national leaders can't even bring up that word, really. And they're talking about doing it. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a carbon pilot trading program there between seven cities, Beijing, Shanghai, and other regions, that is very impressive, is going to launch next year. I mean, I think China is um, very serious about dealing with this. I think that there are many reasons for that. Uh, I think they understand that the movement towards clean energy is going to be a huge economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. So they know that if they can kind of, you know, make get the lead on that, that will be a huge advantage. I think that they understand that environmental degradation is a huge threat to the rule of the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. They will not stay in power if they are seen as not caring for the health and welfare of their citizens. Um, and I also think that, you know, they know that climate change is going to be a nightmare for them and that there's no hope of, you know, a stable, prosperous China uh, with the kind of rate of, de- of desertification, sea level rise, all those kinds of things that we'll be facing. Yeah, it's almost a double-edged sword. They see the effects of environmental degradation so much more acutely than we do, which is a huge health problem, but also might reorient them to talk about really adapting and really planning. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, you know, I've been to China three or four times. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people who spend a lot of time there. Um, you know, and I don't think there's this whole, you know, oh, it's not really happening. It's just sunspots, you know, kind yeah. of denial rhetoric that we have here. I mean, I think that um, uh, for better or worse, China China really understand people in China really understand that this is happening. This is real. The question is, you know, what they're going to do about it. I mean, you know, it's a huge economy, a huge um, ship to start to start to begin to turn, but um, on the other hand, they're not burdened with uh, democracy, <laughs> <laughs> which you know, uh, in, if you're looking at it from a human rights point of view, can be a problem in other ways. But in the sense of saying, okay, we're going to do something about this, they don't have to vote on it in the same yeah. way. And 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 you know, there's some advantage to that in some ways. You know, when they had the Olympics there, they decided to move all the coal plants out of Beijing, and there wasn't a there wasn't a debate about it. There wasn't a vote. There wasn't referendums. They just did it, you know? Right. You can get large-scale, fast action. Right. I'm also wondering, this is just musing aloud, is um, we have a very strong, homegrown private industry that 
stands to mm, benefit from climate denialism. Um, and with China having mostly state-run energy industry, probably don't have the same, you know, you don't uh, get the same disconnect between public and private incentives. Yeah, I think that's very true. Although, you know, our friends at Peabody Energy and others are over there now trying to set up shop. And, right. you know, there's a big push to try to export U.S. coal to um, to Asia and China in particular. So, uh, but yeah, in general, I think that's true. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.